and welcome to another episode of the 905 Roundup. Uh, I'm Roland Hannah, and uh, we don't have Joel today. We're, we're letting Joel have a day off after he stood in valiantly. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think valiance came into it, but I guess you know whatever. Uh, but we're giving him the day off, and um, stepping in once once again is is I don't know super sub isn't isn't a high enough praise I think. But but uh, founder member of the of the five timers club, you've you've got the you've got the blazer, you've got the jacket, the whole thing. Uh, Laura Steiner from uh, the Milton Milton Reporter. Um, welcome back, Laura. Thanks. I'm glad to be back. I. I've been having fun. I haven't realized it was five times. So. I think it must be. I, I don't actually know it's five, but it, it's getting up there, isn't it? One way or the other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Say five. <laughs> I know it's twice now as co-host. So. Yeah, well, absolutely. You're definitely part of the team. Um, and well, when we start off, we'll be very lighthearted there. And we're going to start off with some sad news, I guess. Um, well, no, no, I guess about it. Definitely sad news. Um, and that's the news that Hazel McCallion, the former very long time uh mayor of mississauga in the first and, and only mayor of mississauga for, for a very long time um has uh, uh has passed away at the age of 101 years old um uh and well i mean 101 years old it's certainly a life well lived and and uh, hurricane hazel as as she's called is uh, you know well known to all of us um and we were talking about her just last week on this podcast um and when they say not in flattering terms, it wasn't about Hazel McCallion. It was it was more about how she was being used by the province. But we may get into that later. Um, but um, uh, well, what Laura? Just starting off with you. I mean, what do you think um, Hazel McCallion's legacy is um, as as uh, you know a, a really a perennial fixture of of nine oh five politics over the last half century? I I really think it's that she's inspired so many women to get into politics. Like I had. Um, counselor, regional counselor Samira Ali had a put up a, had a lovely Facebook had a lovely social media post up about how about meeting her and what and the piece of advice that she gave her. So and it's just the influences like that, and um, even former MP, former Conservative Party leadership candidate Lisa Raitt, she was posting about her too so um the inspiration crosses boundaries and I think we should remember that no matter no matter what she's done she's also you know inspired all these women and I think it's, it's um and well, she I think was yeah, that's a, a woman doing in politics at a time when that that was more discouraged than encouraged really yeah absolutely and I think so 101 years old, that means uh, quick, quick math. Uh, Hazel McCallion was born in 1922. Um, yeah, am I doing that right? Yeah, 1922. Yeah. <laughs> 100 minus one. Um, and and uh, I mean, women hadn't actually had the vote for very long then. When did women get the vote in Canada? Um, I mean, it wasn't long before that, was it? I think, it, it, you know, it's... it's we forget how short the history of democracy is uh, and that for most of the period that we've been a proper democracy in that women and men got to vote um there were very very few women who actually uh, uh, made it to the highest levels of uh, of politics i, I think that's a really really important point um i'm just i can only imagine i mean obviously I, I wasn't here but i can only imagine what the average um city council looked like in in um you know the 
seventies and eighties. Well, I know what they looked like in the eighties, and you know, yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it really is people like Hazel McCallion who's sort of paved the way, I guess. Did you actually ever meet her yourself? Um, in a roundabout way, yes. Um, I I worked for uh, about a year. It's now defunct for a web-based TV TV station here mm-hmm. in Milton, and we had a breakfast show breakfast called Breakfast with Friends. And we thought, well, one episode for the fun of it, let's get the two mayor, let's get Mayor Krantz and Mayor McCallion on together. Uh And this was probably 11 or 12 years ago anyway. Mm -hmm. And, um, and she was, she was sturdy. She was, she was a force. I mean, I I don't mean this in a disrespectful way to to anybody, but she was a very different kettle of fish to to Gord Krantz. I think it's fair to say. Uh, Is that? I mean, I have never met Gord Krantz. um, It's fair to, yeah, it's pretty fair to say. She was more, I guess, black and white. And I guess he's a bit of a, um, he's a bit, he's a bit of a sale. He's a bit of a charmer. He's a salesman. He's really outgoing and... Okay. But again, as, as Hazel, as the, I guess the generation is, he's also very to the point. Yeah, I mean, I, you don't get to be in politics for a long time without having some pretty impressive people skills, I think. And that, that kind of gift of the gab. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think something I've certainly noticed over the years with, with politicians who I've had, who've made the biggest impact on me, the type of people who just walk into a room and you feel their presence. There are people in life who can do that. Um and uh, I mean, the one time I was in a room with Hazel McCallion was actually at a leadership convention. It was ca- the, leadership, the Ontario Liberal Leadership Convention where um, uh, Kathleen Wynne became leader. And McCallion, I mean, oddly that she's ended her life associated with the PCs. On that day, she was in the camp of uh, Kathleen Wynne's leadership campaign. She was very much someone who wasn't tied to any party, but would mm-hmm. kind of was willing to lend her support to, to whoever. And um those old fashioned conventions um, are quite something um, to see. I mean, it's literally just like a, a room full of people milling around. And Hazel McCallion was able to command, you know, that room, even on the day when, when other people were, were running for election, the fact that she was there and sort of visible in the, in the, you know, they have little sort of camp areas where for each candidate. Um, and as I remember shouting vociferously at one of the other candidates from, <laughs> from her podium, um, you know, again, politics in the raw. I mean, it's uh, that way of choosing a leader was, was invented back in the sort of 1700s or the 1800s or something. And um, I think Canada's the last place in the world that does it. And I'm not saying it's a good way to pick a leader, but there's nothing quite like it when you see it happening. <laughs> uh, and so that was the one time I saw Hazel McCallion and she very much fit into that old school, um, uh, you know, just say what you think kind of style of politics. Um, good listeners. Yeah, well, and uh, uh, yeah, there's a there's the politicians who stick around for a long time, love them or loathe them, are are, are characters, aren't they? I mean, it's like to say, you know, Lisa oh, yeah. Rate has to. Uh, I would say Lisa Rate has kind of come to that place where you may not be a conservative, you may not agree with much of what she says, but there is a level of respect that she has now, having been around for a long time and being willing to say what she thinks. There's a level of trust that people have for what she says, even yeah. if you don't like it. You know, she's uh, still very well. Res- she's very well respected here in Melton. Very well liked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and I think some people can do that. You know, regardless of uh, of party and the rest of it. And I'd say there's not enough of those people around. Um, 
who are able to do that who are kind of able to sort of step outside the uh the the party's side of things um but i mean looking at her time as as mayor and uh you know it's was a sensitive issue right after somebody's died but i mean i think it's okay i think it's perfectly respectful to say well you know what was her mayoralty like and and what you know really she obviously has shaped mississauga to a huge degree and there are some people would say that that's not been a positive experience in many ways i mean what do you think her legacy is um from that perspective of of as a city builder in effect i think we were talking about um i think this sprawl is probably a valid a valid point because you know also the thing about melton is it takes a good a lot of look a, a good look at what other communities are doing and not just halton like it's not it's not that far to the west end of mississauga from from where I'm sitting right now. So it's about 10 minutes, give or take. And, you know, and just the sprawl of it mm-hmm. is like I- almost, almost uncontrolled. And Milton, when it's been looking at its, at its growth plans, it's sort of the struggle not to be like Mississauga. And unfortunately, if you ask, it, unfortunately, there's probably an argument to be made that yes, we're, it's starting to become a little bit more like Mississauga. I know when I was in my my brief and and unspectacular political career, (laughs) (laughs) phrase one of the phrases I heard most often when I was knocking on doors is, we don't want to live in Mississauga. It's just said again and again and again. I left Mississauga because I want to get away from that. We don't want, or we don't want Burlington to become like Mississauga. We don't want, we don't want, we don't want. Exactly. Whether you think those opinions are fair, unfair, you know, with, with the, need for urban density and all those other things it's a very you know that's not a good thing to have your city constantly referred to as that we don't want to be that city um you know and and and, and for that city not to be hamilton anymore <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a little it's, bit of a relief though isn't it i mean the it's kind of well hamilton's the renaissance city now you know all, all the best people are kind of <laughs> going back a little bit although it's sort of it's sort of looking well, like Andrea Horvath wasn't the. Well, it's going to take. Well, might yeah. not have been the finest choice. I would. Uh, time, I time will, time will tell. Time will tell. Um, yeah. I, I could do with. I mean, going da- briefly down that road, I could do with seeing a few less meetings of her shaking hands with prominent conservatives. You know, uh, it's like I know that this is what mayors do, uh, but it, um, I find it difficult. Uh, we didn't choose you to be pals with Doug Ford. We chose you, or the city chose you to fully in the awareness that you were supposed to be the person who wasn't going to get on with Doug Ford. You know, that was what everybody threatened. Yeah. So, well, you know, if you choose Andrea, you know, Hamilton's going to be screwed by the province. Well, you know, some, some people might think that, that, you know, you'd rather be screwed than, than do a deal with the devil, so to speak. Anyway, another story for another day, maybe, but um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, uh, the, 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 the article in the CBC sort of announcing her, uh, Hazel McCallion's passing, I used the, that phrase, the queen of the queen of sprawl. And um, well, I mean, do you think in looking at the way the cities are actually run and where the power actually lies in, in councils, I mean, do you think it's really fair to put all that at her door? Um, or do you think it's more, it would have happened mm. anyway under any leader? It might be about, I don't it might be about 50-50 really, because obviously... We might even be seeing it now with certain actions of the province mm-hmm. that I'm sure we'll get around to talking to in a minute, but um, it might be 50-50. It, it, a lot 
of municipal politics does have to do with the people sitting in those seats and around the table and the mayor at the head of the table and also a lot of the staff coordinators and planners and, and all of that. But there's also, there's something structural as well. Like, um, like structural to either the, either the structure of municipal government, the structure of the land, like one of the huge the issues municipalities are facing is that land plan planning policy. And, you know, and the sense that there was a sense for a few years that in Milton's case, at least, if you didn't approve a development, that was going straight to the land planning tribunal and usually or OMB and they would under rubber stamp and then that would be the end of it. And so there's something, there's probably something that's been structurally wrong with municipalities and the way they're organized that's been there for a while, yeah, but it's I'd... sort of equal parts shared with the fact that there's a staff, that there's council, that there's a mayor and all have some kind of um, vision for the, for the city or for the town that you got to figure out how do we do this? How do we negotiate this with all the other provincial pieces? Well, I, think, I, I mean, the, the OMB may be the only thing in entirety of politics that, is, that was older than than Hazel McCallie. <laughs> it's not called the <laughs> OMB anymore, but... Uh, no, it's know, not. In its, in its current form, um, you know, it, it, it goes way back. I think it was called the, the Ontario Railway Board or something like that. Initially, it was about getting railways built. Oh. Um, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I tend to feel that mayors used to have more autonomy than they do now, um, or, or at least they were less likely to get to get overruled. Um, but they probably there probably less reason why they would be overruled back then. I mean, politics for most of the twentieth century, you know, municipal politics was just so uncontroversial. It seems to me in most of uh, nine, what's now the nine hundred five region, that you know, you, you look at. Um, uh, Gord Krantz's political career and, and very seldom has he really ever had to run against anybody in the entire uh, in well, his entire career. The past October was the first, probably the first real competitor that he's had in a while. I think, I think the only other person who, who put on any kind of show, uh, any kind of challenge was was, was uh, Colin Best, uh, yes. Councillor Best, who's, who's, who's still around. Um, but I mean, not not close. Uh, just was a he got a respectable number of votes. Um, and uh, whereas usually, you know, any challenger was, you know, just might as well have stayed at home for all the, <laughs> all the good they did in the electoral yeah. numbers. <laughs> and, and but that was kind of typical of, of uh, you know, House McCallion didn't bother campaigning. Gord Krantz still doesn't bother campaigning. Uh, did he campaign this year? I don't know. Did he do a little um, bit of campaigning? He's very, uh, not really, no. But then the whole, I, I found the dynamics of campaigning were completely changed by the COVID, by, right. by yeah. COVID yeah. Yeah. and yeah. stuff. And there weren't that many, um, there weren't that many debates. The person that um, they've had a couple of bigger all war debates lately, but they weren't really, somebody wasn't really interested in having them. Um, there were a lot of rumors that somebody was refusing to go to the um to a couple of them they were but there was a lot more focus on just the mayoralty yeah, race because yeah, they yeah. had the one credible candidate so yeah yeah i mean we could i mean we've probably 
spoken about as enough uh, about uh, Hazel McCallion. And I mean, definitely she, you know, she has a legacy and it's a significant one, whatever, whether you consider it good, bad or indifferent. Um, certainly the interviews I was hearing on like uh, 680 News today um, speak to the fact that she's still got that kind of popular touch. Um, that, you know, a lot of people in Mississauga will remember her with a great deal of affection and that's, that's all right and proper. Um, I do think that you know, as, as the kind of archetype of sprawl, Mississauga, you know, it's a shame that, that there wasn't a voice anywhere in Mississauga over the last 50 years saying, hey, sure we want to go as far down this road of just being sprawl central. Um, I understand <laughs> there is one. now, you know, Mississauga is the first city in the 905, which just has literally no green space left at all that can be developed. Like there is none. There's no appeals anymore because it's all gone. The only way is up. Um, And it's also uh, the only city in uh, Ontario, I believe, that is actually seeing a population decrease at the moment. Its population went down, uh, I believe, last year. Because Um, they're coming to Milton. Well, they, everybody wants to there's move like, to Milton yeah. now. <laughs> there's pockets down. No, really, there's pockets down in this very south end by Britannia Road that I forget. I was talking to someone. I was, talking, I was in a store and I was talking to someone down in that area, and they were they were saying that oh, so and so has a goes to get their hair. Neighbors of theirs goes go to get their hair done in Mississauga. Right. Yeah. So. So you spend, I mean, everybody's kind of just moving west and and the the problem with sprawl development is like where i don't even know where mississauga stops and the, and and halton starts or it's like you can drive along dundas i don't know what city i'm in it's all the same it's just it's it, yeah it's, there's a stretch of dundas where it's yeah. like the right side you're in oakville the left side you're in mississauga and and who really you know it's it's the same stuff. It's it's you know it's the same restaurants. It's it's the same coffee shops. It's the same outlet mall. Uh, not outlet malls, but you know there are outlet malls too. But Canadian Tire and all the rest of it, and it's so featureless. Um, you mm-hmm. know, but again, I mean that 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 to me is the problem that that's we haven't done a great job of building memorable, distinctive cities, have we? You know, no. Um, and people know that because that's why they always say, "I don't want to live in Mississauga." Yeah, it's uh, that's that's a shame. But I think we definitely, as to give Hazel McCallion the positive final note, she was a hell of a character. Um, you may not agree with everything that she did or she did, but she was definitely a a, a you know a politician um, of of distinction, and uh, I'm sure she will be remembered with with uh, with uh, great fondness and. Uh, We'll leave the the whole business of what on earth the province was doing um, that we discussed last week uh, um, for another day. I think sounds fair. Um, and I, I don't know if we spoke about this uh, with with Joel a couple of weeks ago, but um, I mean, I don't think we spoke. You and I haven't spoken since since the election. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, Gord Krantz won again. Um, there was um Zishan uh, Z- Hamid did put on a, a decent show, but yeah, close but no cigar. I mean, and not that close, but um, closer than anybody's ever been before, I guess. Yeah, um, within a thousand votes, I think it was nine hundred ninety-five. Okay, so in terms of votes alone, count. that's that's pretty close. Yeah. Okay. But it's the context of there was something in the neighborhood of 30 percent turnout. Yeah. So you're not really 
it's a good it's a good number, but probably if there was, it, it's hard to say whether more turnout meant he would have won, or if more turnout meant Krantz would have won. Would have the margin would have been larger for Krantz? I mean, my well, the traditional advice for people running for council is don't bother going to apartment blocks, don't bother going to high rises, only go to single family homes, and that's because the single family home neighborhoods vote. And they are by far the wealthiest, most small C conservative uh, neighborhoods. Um, and so the lower the turnout, I tend to feel the lower the turnout, the more likely it is that you will not see change. Uh, yeah. Because people, it's the people who are older, who are more satisfied with things will be the ones who actually yeah. go out and cast a vote. But somewhat fascinating to me was I've noticed Notice it's grown in the last couple of election cycles that there's been this, these whispers of can Gord actually, we, we need a change, Gord's looking, Gord's tired, et cetera, et cetera. And this time there's been a little bit more from that older crowd, oddly enough. And so I, I mean, think he's got to go soon. I mean, how old is he? He's up I in mean, his 80s. I mean, I guess, you know. Maybe he's going to stick out until he's beaten McCallion's record. Maybe that's what he's. He's already had. He already has. That's true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it yeah. was really. It was kind of because I. Re- I remember watching it. I was the mayor's breakfast last year, and I'd been hearing hearing rumbles, hearing chatter that there was somebody that was going to come out of the woodwork and run against him. And there was he was then councillor Mike Cluett. He was taking real soundings of whether he should go for it. Mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. not and I so I was I was talking to him a lot and there was a, I thought he was gonna go for it and I'd also heard a bit of rumbling that they basically there were some of them that were basically talking to each other that had decided okay you're going for that x seat you're going for this one over here and who'd move up who'd go from mayor kind of a thing yeah and yeah. It's sort of watching the mayor's breakfast that that morning. I didn't go in person because I was just getting over COVID. And but I saw it on TV and it looked like he caught even the town CAO by surprise a little bit when he made that announcement. Yeah. Yeah. So and I so I wondered if that that might have had something to do with it. And it ended up Mike didn't run. And Mike, there was also that was kind of that was a fascinating one too because um Cluett was the incumbent for ward three in the regional seat right yeah and for some reason and rick di lorenzo moved up from municipal and ran against mike Cluett. they kind of <laughs> and the third candidate that ran in there ended up winning so i mean this is the crazy thing about you know, the, the, the ranked ballot things, I know it, Milton probably wouldn't have used it at this election anyway. Um, it takes so long for cities to get around to new ideas. But if ranked ballots hadn't been abolished, you know, they really, what, what it means is that, that something like that wouldn't happen. You don't have two candidates running against each other and then neither wins and someone comes up in the middle who really maybe shouldn't be winning. I'm not saying that in this case. I don't know the candidates well enough. It certainly has happened in the past though. Um, you know the, the kind of situation where where the best candidate doesn't always win, particularly when there are multiple good candidates uh, in the field. You know you can you can literally split the good vote down the middle, and the idiot vote yeah. comes up and wins. <laughs> uh, so I, you know, it's just again, 
an issue that we've talked about multiple times in this podcast. I think ranked ballots were really good. The experience in London when they had them seems to have been really positive with with uh, first um, visible minority councillor uh, being elected, someone who said she wouldn't have run under the old system because it wouldn't have been any point. Um, and yeah, no more, unfortunately. Um, we've got a few minutes left, I think. Um and uh, this is something we're going to talk about in a full episode. Well, actually, by the time you hear this episode, you will have already heard the episode about this subject. But I thought uh, we'd talk about it for a few minutes because I'm interested in hearing a kind of, I fully admit to not being as independent as I might like on this issue because yeah. I know a lot of people, some of them as kind of personal friends from back in when I was involved as a, as a party volunteer. Mm-hmm. Um and so the story is that, that a, a letter was issued by um, uh, I don't know, about 20 or 30 members of the Ontario Liberal Party, basically kind of trying to ask Mike Schreiner, the leader of the, of the Ontario Greens, to jump to the Liberals and to become and to run to be leader of, of the Liberals. Um, certainly caught me by surprise. Um, uh, and, and yeah, I don't know what I think about it. Uh, by the time people hear this episode, I may have We'll have spoken to one of the the key figures in in that letter and and got their side. So if you haven't heard that already, go and listen to it. But I thought, you know, from the point of view of a a journalist, someone who's not been knee deep in in party politics, that particular party's politics at various points, what's your take on it all? Well, my my first, at first blush, I read the, I want to say, I don't think it was written, but, but Robert Benzie tweeted it out. So I'll give him, I'm not sure whether he wrote it or not, mm. but that story, it struck at first blush. I, I thought it was kind of crazy and I, I still think it's a little crazy. And I think there's a real danger here that you're undermining the membership. You're undermining anyone that sort of is even considering throwing their hat in the ring. Um, you know, like names and I keep hearing She's on the top of my head. Mitzi Hunter, for example, mm-hmm, she, mm-hmm. It, she, for example, she's put in her time. She's worked for it. She's been in cabinet with with Premier Win, and and she's been. I think at one point was it was colleges and universities. I believe, I want to say colleges and universities minister yeah, no, for I a think while. You're right. She was at the yeah. very tail end. So she's put in her time and. For people like her, her this has got to be a bit of an insult. It's, and it's, yeah, it's, it's in, yeah, no, carry on, sorry. And like the other side of it as well, though, because I've I've covered Mike Schreiner. He's a really likable, affable guy, and he can really like that guy has got like he it, he's extremely easy to talk to, and but he's also the leader of the Green Party of Ontario you know, is sort of, so Mike Schreiner as an individual, it's, it's potential, but from the liberal perspective, it's, do you want to go that far left? I mean, you're going almost straight through, you're like running around the NDP (laughs) and going to try to get, and they're trying to sandwich them out almost, but NDP might be already. Well, I mean, I I would say that, I don't think those old. I, I, I don't think those old definitions of left and right work anymore. Like Joel and I went through 
with as much of a fine tooth comb as we could. The three platform, actually, the, well, there were only three platforms because one of the party doesn't have a platform, the one that won. But we went through the three platforms that were published by the by the Greens, the NTP, and the Liberals. And so I compared and contrast. Um, and the Green platform and the Liberal platform were very, very similar. Um, in fact, all three were very, very similar. You know, the, the cigarette papers width between all of them. Um, the NDP had a couple more things that were, to my mind, obviously coming from a kind of uh, trades union perspective. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the, I, I do think that the NDP platform was by far the weakest on anything to do with the environment. Um, I, I, I just say that as a complete neutral, that, that it does, well, some people will never accept that I am a complete neutral, but to my best attempt at being a complete neutral, it seemed yeah. to me that the NDP green um, credentials were, were noticeably weaker than the other ones. Obviously, the Greens won the green battle <laughs> in terms of what they were promising, but the, the Liberals were not that far behind. Mm-hmm. So I don't, yeah, I mean, I I think the most important thing you just said is that Mike Schreiner is very affable. And and I will say that when I was still involved in, in party politics, I was aware of how well-liked he was among many Liberals. Um uh, and that's not necessarily something that held true for other Green Party leaders, um, uh, the federal Greens <laughs> in particular. So Mike Schreiner yeah. was well liked. He was well. He had personal connections of friendship or whatever with, with yeah. quite a few caucus members. I would I would guess. Um, so that part of it, I guess, is maybe where this is coming from. That that that, that there have been those ties. Mm-hmm. The weird thing to my mind, and we'll, we'll see if. Uh, uh, you know, we're going to be speaking to Kate Graham about this and we'll see what her sort of answer is. Usually when this kind of thing happens in politics, you know, cr- basically crossing the floor is what we're talking about. Yeah. Be it, uh, well, he actually has a floor to cross. Most of the liberals don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. oh, I'll take it. A, I'll go pay for that one. Um, the, the, um, it's done, you know, it's done in, in secret literally because it's embarrassing to that, to that other person to, to be kind of publicly courted in this way, it's very embarrassing for Mike Schreiner to to be in that position because he's like, well, are you going to do it, Mike? And as far as I know, as of today, which is Tuesday, no, Monday, yeah. um, he hasn't made any response. Is that correct? I'm yes, not- that's correct. I heard because yeah. um, I listened to News Talk and more in the morning and John Moore said this morning that they were trying to get him on this morning to try and, and he said, well, this morning's no good. He was going, going to uh, David Onley's funeral and right. they're sure. going to try to get him tomorrow morning. But as of the end of the show, I don't think anybody had heard for sure. Well, so he's really was... not in much of a hurry to get, yeah. he doesn't seem to be in much of a hurry to get past this. Well, and, there's a very easy way to make the story go away. It's like, no, I'm, I'm leader of no, the Greens, I'm not going go away. Yeah. So that's I, the only thing that's making me wonder mm-hmm. whether something could be up. Yeah. But the, the thing other... that makes me think it isn't up is like, this should never happen. I, I'm surprised that this would happen publicly and that anybody would make, take the risk of doing it publicly. Uh, but the fact the that other, he hasn't responded, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. The other component is, and I just remember this now, the the Green Party has this thing about being non-aligned with anybody. And but aligned with themselves. <laughs> other than themselves, really. Yeah. And but like being open to new ideas yeah. and new ways of doing things. And so I also think that from the liberal perspective, from that traditional um 
from that traditional sort of party perspective, which is more than likely not working anymore, um, the liberals are going to have to make some compromises to make to make it work. Well, it's definitely kind of. And are they willing to do that? And this is basically an attempt to kind of merge with the Greens and steal. I mean, from from many Green members' perspective, I'm sure to steal the Green Thunder. I mean, the Greens are making real inroads into towns like Waterloo, Kitchener, uh, um, and London as well. Maybe I can't remember. Uh, but you know, they've they've made uh, they're starting to win seats. You know, I mean, uh, uh, it's under first past the post. That's very difficult to do. Uh, and more than that, they've won seats and then held on to them uh, through a subsequent election. Um, there is, there has always seemed to me to be more of a, a proximity between the the Liberals and the Greens um, than between the NDP and the Greens for whatever reason. Uh, I think uh, so. I mean, I first got involved in party politics back in the Green Stefan Dion's Green Shift. Um, it was it wasn't so much I got involved to support it. I got involved because it had just been destroyed electorally by by Stephen Harper, <laughs> and I was like, right, I'm getting involved. I'm going to fix it single handedly. I'm going to you know yeah. fix everything. Uh, didn't work out quite so well, but uh, you know that was my liberal background was was being motivated by green politics, not by liberal politics. You know. Yeah. Um, well, like, uh, and there's certainly a new. There's definitely a new, I would think there's a definitely a new mold sort of of politician coming up that might be trying to be a little less doggedly partisan. I mean, it could, I also I don't know what I think. I think, I mean, most likely this is a mistake. Um, it can, I think it definitely risks coming across badly. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's maybe the sort of impression you, you, you get, you know, this, this could be kind of insulting to the rank and file. Yeah. Um, and anybody who would think right now of joining the Liberal Party of Ontario. I mean, they're not <laughs> saying that he would still have to run to be leader. He would still have to win the election. Um, they're just asking him to be a candidate, I guess. In yeah. the same way that Ignatia, Michael Ignatieff was asked to be a candidate. And, and, and I think, you know, again, the parallels... The closest parallel would be Michael Ignatieff, and look how well it worked out. <laughs> yeah, um, a lot of people thought he was the chosen. You know, he was like he was the savior. He was going to come in. He was gonna, everything. He was going to fix the Liberal Party, and boy, did he not fix anything. Might have been too smart for us, though. <laughs> I think really? people. Yeah, well, don't get me started on that one. I mean, he some was a brilliant people, man outside. He is a brilliant man outside politics. He was a brilliant man, but he's not a politician. And that's the yeah, thing. You, you do have the... to have those skills, uh, and and he did not have them at all. Like it's just that sort of instinct, the Hazel McCallion instinct of saying the right thing at the right moment to the right person. That you don't, you never have that moment of awkwardness where someone goes away thinking, "God, they're a bit of a jackass." You know, you, you, the, the the guys who do best, you see that any conversation they have, the person walks away from that conversation thinking, "Oh wow, they're." that's amazing that person's really something um you see it again and again it's charisma it's it's, it's yeah. a little bit of star power very often it's, with the party leaders it's genuine yeah and like michael Nardin might, might be brilliant but he did not have charisma <laughs> and, and maybe we shouldn't that we shouldn't that's not the way it should work but it does you know it's just you have to be realistic about it mike schreiner is a proven politician i guess so maybe he, you know a better choice but and uh, no. yeah, it's an interesting one. That's for sure. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens, but it certainly will. By the time this episode goes out, it may if, already have happened. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if the I don't know if their problem so much with was who. Well, obviously, it was probably seventy five percent who was leading them, but 
I mean, as much as the policy, because I tested with a, with a local liberal candidate here, I tested out their transit platform and asked, asked a few questions about it. And outside of the period they were going, like the one, the year period pilot project or something, my dates could be off. I don't have it yeah, in yeah. front of me, yeah. but they didn't have funding beyond that. And if you're, to, and, and I just thought, if you're trying to get people out of their cars and relying more on transit, some stable funding would have to happen. You can't just do it for a year and not, you know, and not have an idea for people. It's not, it's not right for many people because yeah. you're going to get I, relying I, on it. And then suddenly, oh, I have to come up with 25 bucks a week for my, um, my pass, my monthly yeah. pass. And I think, or not, neither Andrea Horvath in the NTP nor Stephen Del Duca and the Liberals at any point in the run-up to that election ever took control of the agenda. You no. know, they, they never, the, the agenda w- was dug forward, such as there was any agenda. I mean, a part of the problem was that I don't think anybody was paying attention, but they should have made us pay attention. <laughs> so you know, it's like there, there was an absolute disgraceful scandal in long-term care and you couldn't make that stick, not even a little bit. You know, I mean, you can usually take a few lumps out of the incumbents, even if they go on and win. But it's like you didn't even. How could long term care? To my mind, is like how could long term care not be the issue at the last election? I don't know, but it wasn't. How could um, his handling? For me, it was the handling of the whole pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like you can poke away at it because it was like from um from the long term care, and now we're finding the absolute mess in healthcare. And so that was around as well. The, like the whole, there was the whole thing. I think it was early. Was it last year? Was it 2021? They did this, the promising to give, he wanted to try to get police, give police powers. And then every police chief from Windsor to Ottawa said, no, we don't want them. Yeah. 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 I mean, that was, how do you not get that to stick? Yeah. And really, since since last year, since the election, they've really taken the gloves off in so many different ways. You know, this is. Uh, but yeah, well, these are discussions for an, for another day for sure. We've we've come a long way uh, over the last forty five minutes or so, so we should probably wrap it up there. Um, thank you, uh, Laura, for for joining us once again. Uh, really appreciate uh, your insights, and um, uh, no doubt we'll speak to you again uh, before too long. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Look forward to it. Thanks, everybody. We'll speak to you um, again in a couple of days. Bye-bye for now. Bye. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of The 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time.
Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com.